Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women in BIPOC voices. We're bringing Wonder Women Tech to the airwaves. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with another episode of the Wonder Women Tech Show. I'm super excited today because my guest is someone I feel really close to. We had a moment recently and I almost feel like she's become a bestie now. (laughs) I'm so excited to have on the show Shelby Sanderford. She is the CEO and founder of Doc Pace. And she is a New Orleanian and an alum of Southern Methodist University, where she got her BS degree in Applied Physiology and Enterprise. That's interesting. Her long-term goal is to improve healthcare in such a way that it becomes a low-stress commodity, as if healthcare can be such a thing. I'm excited to learn about that. She plans to do this by making healthcare as efficient convenient, and transparent as possible via patent-pending software and machine learning. Welcome to the show, Shelby, my new bestie. Thank you so much, Lisa May. I honestly, I'm so excited to be here with you today. After our last conversation, I can't wait just to dive right back in and have a real authentic conversation together. Yeah, I know. So for those of you that aren't in the know, because it's just in the in the inner circle of Shelby and myself, we got to hang out. We got to hang out on the phone and chit chat a little bit and carve out ideas for the show. And we really entered a, a deep and beautiful place of vulnerability and and talking about our leadership roles and what that looks like in today's world. And I really got excited because I'm like, we need to craft this conversation around that. And we need to like dig deeper into, you know, vulnerable leadership and what it means and how it actually can be an asset for, you know, team building and productivity. But first... I want you to take us back to your childhood and share with us what it's like, what what it's like growing up in, in New Orleans and how did that perhaps influence your career path? New Orleans has like such a rich history. So I'm wondering if there are any influences. It does. So New Orleans is a very unique city. It's definitely a city full of culture, um, Let's see, growing up, I was always very involved with uh, social events. I feel like there's always some sort of event or festival or, um, you know, something always is happening here, which was really fun to grow up in that that kind of go, 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 nonstop um, environment. And I think that definitely did shape how uh, my, like, work mentality is now and how I'm definitely fast paced and on that go, go, go (laughs) 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 train. So 
uh, you know, I was I was always involved in some sort of event or fundraiser or really just getting involved with the community as well. Um, from an early age, I was I was helping participate uh, in fundraisers, and I think that opened it allowed me to see in, inside of organizations and how they operate. You know how to raise money and. Um, has certainly led to where I am now. So you have created a company that I feel was ahead of its time in 2014, but perfect for 2020 pandemic, (laughs) you know, where where we have to now revolutionize, I feel, the healthcare industry and rethink the way that we interact with doctors and medical clinics and hospitals, right? And you've created something that I feel everyone will clap their hands and cheer for with DocPace. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of DocPace and how you created this entity to be what it is. I would love to do that. So uh, when I actually started DocPace, which now it's been about six years, uh, which is just absolutely wild, but um, (laughs) it was right out of undergrad and I'd been working in healthcare administration and seeing a lot of the internal pain points um, that are faced by, uh, on the hospital side. And um, I had a mission to eliminate wait times for doctor's appointments and ultimately eliminate the need for the waiting room. Now, when I started this, I was really coming from a patient satisfaction perspective and, you know, how can we make that experience better? And I think that the timing of everything, we actually only launched on the market this past May. Um, and, you know, we our whole environmental situation and, and what has happened this year has really just accelerated that mission, um, but also added a new, you know, need or value for the product, and that is now, you know, you don't want a patient waiting in the waiting room, and how can you eliminate the waiting room, and what are the, what are the processes and procedures that need to be in place to um, be able to make that a reality and actually, you know, manage an empty waiting room, right? Um, but if we go back, I mean, the truth is that we live in a very advanced world where we have access to technology and instant gratification. Um, and what has happened is that people carry those expectations across industries. So people experience something in one industry, uh, and that experience was, you know, maybe an incredible experience. And so now that expectation, um, carries on to how things should be done in every other industry. And just like that, when an experience is below that standard, it has no chance of hitting the same caliber of satisfaction. So that's exactly what's happening in, in healthcare because the industry is, is slightly archaic in, in a lot of ways, and consumers feel that, you know, a lot of times their experience is really taking five steps back to where their standard for excellence is, is um, in other industries. So you can't expect someone who's using an iPhone and gets around with Uber and, you know, orders groceries on Amazon Prime to be 
satisfied or impressed with an experience where they have to fill out the same paperwork a hundred times <laughs> yeah. and wait hours with no insight of a start time. Um, you know, that's those, those, the way things are set up is, is already setting the patient up to, to be dissatisfied. The transparency of just knowing when something is going to happen helps alleviate so much stress and anxiety. Um, and that's a lot of what our product is is enabling doctors' offices to be able to do. So we we provide a virtual waiting room where now the patient has um, a web app they can open up and um, have a real time appointment tracker and keep up to date until they're ready to see be seen. So now the you know don't you always wish you could just say oh hey doctor won't you just let me know when the room is ready for me to come in? I know right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now that's essentially what we're what we're enabling these uh, doctors' offices to be able to do is just ping the patient, let them know, you know, your room's ready, come on in. Now you can wait in your car, you can wait, you know, doing your errands, whatever it might be, um, and just head on into the the doctor's appointment when when they're actually ready for you. Um, and that's that's really alleviating. You know, that's really wonderful for the patient and improves the experience. But now it's also helping alleviate a lot of that stress and, and um, burden that the office staff is now having to manage waiting rooms and keeping patients outside of them. And, you know, if they are having them wait in their car, they've got to keep track of them and, you know, when they should come in. Um, so we're essentially just streamlining that whole process to help make it better for everyone. Uh, that's one thing I'm always trying to keep in mind is like, you know, how can we improve this experience for the patient? And also help alleviate some of that stress off of the, the office staff as well, um, who experience quite a bit of burnout. Absolutely. And like, so what does this onboarding process look like? Because I imagine you have to get like hospitals or doctor's offices to buy in to this technology. How, how, how do you make that happen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have you made it happen yet? Is there, or is this like, where are we at in the process? Yeah. So we do integrate with their system, um, with whatever scheduling system they're using. We do we integrate directly with that. So everything can just happen automatically in the back end. Uh, again, we, you know, that was out of trying to reduce the workload of the staff and not add a whole nother task or, or some, you know, platform to have to keep track of. Um, so we are, that's how our rollout strategy is, is based on scheduling systems and, and um, those become our targets. So there's quite a few of these scheduling systems that exist. And each year we'll, we'll keep on adding more and, and serving a greater portion of the market. Well, I hope my doctor's office subscribes to this because I need this in my life. <laughs> I hope you'll have it soon. <laughs> I know. Let's help each other out. So, yeah. you know, did you always want to revolutionize the healthcare system? Like, were you a kid and, and saying, you know, what, what, was there like a catalyst moment that you were like, I just want to fix this? <laughs> so, you know, ever since I was young, I've always really wanted to help people. Um, it's been a big passion of mine, and I was very involved with nonprofits when I was younger, um, all throughout high school and, and college. And I always thought I wanted to be a doctor. I was I was pre med, and then uh, 
some of my courses were more on the administrative side, and that's when I got really interested in the business side of healthcare, um, which led to an internship at a hospital. And it was really when I was there and I was immersed in all the meetings I was going to, and I was really hearing all the, the pain points and the challenges that are faced on the hospital side. Um, and I just, you know, I was honestly kind of mind blown by this problem and that there wasn't a solution that existed based on where technology and other industries were. I was like, how is this possible? This, this industry is like so far behind other industries. And it seems like if the technology is available, then we should be able to do the same thing in healthcare. Um, now, the big thing with healthcare is there are a lot of barriers and um, regulatory hurdles, but oh yeah, uh, you know we've been we've been working through those and um, have great legal advisors to make sure we're working with every with all the rules and regulations. But um, I think that is part of the biggest problem of why technology advancements ha- are taking longer in the healthcare space, um, but. The industry is getting there uh, slowly, and it definitely will. Uh, but that's really what what kind of triggered it all was seeing it firsthand. And honestly, I was just shocked. Um, and so I was determined to <laughs> to help. Uh, you know, this was a way for me to help everyone who's involved. We're helping the staff. We're helping the doctors. We're helping the patients. Um, it's a solution that's really beneficial to everyone that's involved. Yeah. And I, I imagine, you know, it couldn't have been easy to blaze a trail and especially building an app. You know, you're using machine learning, uh, patent pending software. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, did you team up with folks to create that? What did that process look like? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't have a technical background, so I needed to find some technical resources right off the bat. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get connected to a young group of um, developers right out of undergrad who have been, uh, you know, helping build out the Jockbase product since the very beginning um, and have been, you know, an incredible technical resource for me. Um, but yeah, that's how it all started. First, you know, pitched the idea to them and uh, got them on board and together we've we've been figuring it out <laughs> and you also learn a lot from from having customers right um, they've they've helped the most with improving and, and giving us wonderful feedback on how we can continue to help uh, the market and 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 also help the market in new ways so We've been able to learn about new features and things that we should add on to uh, grow the product and continue to expand our reach and um, the ways that we're able to improve the workflow and um, transparency and efficiency for for medical staff. So it's been wonderful. <laughs> and that's a huge learning experience. <laughs> I bet because, you know, I mean, you're, you're about six years in, right? So I think this is when they say you start to hit your pace and you start to, you've made, I wouldn't say the most crucial mistakes, but you've made the kinds of mistakes that set you on your course for, you know, course correcting and, and like 
finally figuring some things out and pointing to your true north. I I feel like, you know, that's that's been the same for us. You know, we started at the same time and it was about year five. And I'm like, okay, well, we hit all the bumpy roads, like from gate from year one. <laughs> like I, I got the major stuff out, like from 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 opening up the gate, I made a big mistake. So it was like, okay. And so by year five, I'm like, not doing that again. I see you. I'm <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm not doing that. Do you do you feel like you've hit a groove now or do you feel like you're still uncertain? So <laughs> that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I used to always say, oh my gosh, just like I feel like I've had every hurdle or obstacle come at me. Like, is this what happens for everyone? And I think that's a great, you know, segue into that conversation around transparency and, and how to really live in a authentic and vulnerable space, vulnerable space where you're talking about being a founder of a company, because, you know, a lot of times you can look at another company and say, oh my gosh, I feel like they don't have any of these like challenges. And why is it me? Why do I keep having all these, you know, uh, obstacles come flying in my direction? (laughs) And the reality is, it's like, that's just part of having a startup and growing a business. And I think it's, it's a wonderful thing to actually be able to uh, shed light on that and, um, and be able to openly talk about it. Um, so I appreciate that question. Thank you. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we all, and here's, here's the spoiler, spoiler alert, everyone. Like it doesn't get easier. You're winging it the whole way through you, like the whole entire time. Like you do get smarter for sure, but there will always be something new thrown your way. As you said, Shelby, like every obstacle is like, bam, here we go. (laughs) You like, you clear that you turn the corner and like, bam, and unexpected rugs. And, you know, and I imagine with the healthcare industry with, you know, all the kinds of regulations in place and with, you know, HIPAA laws and, so many different hurdles there, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I mean, you're so you're absolutely right in that we're we're always going to be hitting new, um, you know, challenges, and you turn the corner and you're like, oh wow, okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, the difference is that you definitely learn how to have um, processes in place to be able to handle those things. So you know, you can you can structure the way you go about facing the new challenges and in that way it does get does get easier as we go along well i'm so excited to dig deeper into this but we're going to take a break because we're going to learn about today's pioneering women in history and now it's time for today's pioneering women segment today's pioneering woman is arlen hamilton Hamilton is the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital, a venture capital firm dedicated to minimizing funding disparities in tech by investing in high potential founders. Hamilton was homeless when she started pitching Backstage Capital to investors, but she was passionate and determined to make her mark. The very few offers Hamilton received ended up opening doors and she raised more than $4 million for 100 companies founded by women, people of color, and LGBTQ founders. In May 2018, the Los Angeles-based company announced it was investing in a $36 million seed fund 
exclusively dedicated to Black women-owned companies. In just a few years, Hamilton has shaken up the startup industry and her impact has made an indelible mark on what creating a true seat at the table looks like. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Arlen Hamilton. Hey, innovators, we're back with Shelby Sanderford. We've been talking about revolutionizing the healthcare industry. And now we're going to go into the deep down because I feel like it's so important to talk about vulnerability as a strength in leadership. And we are in a crazy time right now where we're navigating our new normal. We're figuring out new ways of interacting with our teams. We're figuring out our, our pants on backwards. <laughs> true story. The very true story. I can't believe I'm going to share this. And some of you who are listening may have caught this. So during our Wonder Women Tech virtual summit, my introduction speech, day one, moment one, Lisa May's dress is on backwards. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. And so the, and, and it, the funny thing is it was like buttoned all the way up to my throat. And I was like choking. And I was like, why am I, why do I feel like I'm choking? And, <laughs> oh, and, and, then, and then I looked down and I'm like, my dress is on backwards. This is embarrassing. And my, my mom's like watching the summit as well. And she's like making a joke and, you know, you did you forget which way to put on your dress? I taught you better than that. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. But that's kind of what this world has done right now. Like, we don't know what's up or down or what day of the week it is. <laughs> so, you know. The most, most fitting thing to happen in 2020. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that was not on my bingo card, ladies and gentlemen and everyone. So, okay. We are... I feel at a, a, we are, we're at a time where this is an opportunity for us, right, to redefine the workplace and the workplace culture and the way that we relate with our teams. So share with me, Shelby, what you've come to experience, you know, navigating through the new normal and how you motivate your teams and push forward into productivity. First off, I'll say that you know, I really think that this pandemic has really caused people to pause, like actually pause and feel what it feels like to actually feel your emotions. Yeah. Um, but also then like have a little space to respect them. So I know for myself personally, um, I've really taken this time to go on a bit of a deeper dive internally uh, to be able to become my own best friend and to truly understand or even just acknowledge what's going on inside. Um, and I think that's, that's helped me a ton with being able to actually step into that authentic space, um, and be a little bit more vulnerable with my team. Like first off, this really all started with switching to, uh, the remote work lifestyle. Uh, so before, I was always a little hesitant and nervous about, you know, how it would impact productivity. 
Um, but I think once we are actually, you know, forced to transition and implement new um, structure to operate remotely, I, I kind of had like an eye-opening experience where I was like, oh, wow, you know, I think people might actually operate better in this way. Um, and it makes sense because, you know, not everyone's turned on high gear from nine to five. Yeah, and I'm not. <laughs> right. And so it's like, can we can we go and in, turn inward and kind of figure out, like, how do we operate the best and when do we operate the best and how can you, uh, you know, bring that out in your team as well? And that's something that I'm also very passionate about is incorporating not just team growth, but uh, personal growth into our, our company culture as well. So I'm very interested in, in making sure that my team is achieving their, their personal goals and, um, and you know, helping however I can along the way for them to be able to do that. And, you know, a lot of that is, has come to be to actually understand a little bit more about um, you know, yourself and how, and how you operate as a individual. And I've certainly taken this time to really kind of figure out how can I, how can I operate the best all the time? Because we, I, I did, you know, as I was mentioning before, I grew up in such a fast paced world where the norm is always go, 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 go. And oftentimes when, the going gets slow, it really caused me to get frustrated. And the reaction is to think, oh man, like I'm not good enough or I'm not resilient enough to handle this process. Yeah. When the reality is go, 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 go like that is an incredibly false expectation to have. Yeah. Um, you can't be at the Mardi Gras all the, all the time. You have to chill at yeah. the beach sometimes too, right? <laughs> Right, exactly. So you're like literally setting your mind up to think like, you know, I'm not good enough if I can't be on on high power mode all mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. It's just very unrealistic. But um, th isn't that like what we as founders, what we as leaders and what we just uh, in general, you know, especially as women, we feel like we have to stay in motion. We have to be in motion. We have to be turned on at high volume. Mm -hmm. We have to do it all. We have to have all the answers. We have to be able to time, you know, uh, manage our time. We have to be able to be everything all at once. And if you're not, you're nothing at all. And that's something that I think is is like the narrative. It's a very common narrative that I hear from, you know, my guests and our speakers and our ecosystem that we have this stupid imaginary voice or this driving force that has us in motion. And we're so tired at the end of the day and at the end of the month and at the end of the year. Burnout is real. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, what's so important to, to talk about here is that your expectation is coming about from, you know, what's happening in the world around us. And, and a lot of that is what's happening on, you know, social media or what we're seeing other people having, have happened in their lives. And I think that's why it's so important to be transparent and have this really true, honest conversation of like, what is really the reality um, behind mm. the, the founder's story? Because, 
you know, the farther apart your, your expectations and your reality get, the worse you're going to feel about the present. So you've got to try and figure out how to get your expectation and your reality closer and closer together, and then you're going to feel more aligned and, and happier in the present moment. Um, and I think that's why it's so important uh, for us as founders to really open up and share what the story really looks like mm -hmm. because that can help all those other people who are, you know, really interested in, in going off on their own and starting their own thing to understand when they start to feel stress and anxiety or whatever the emotion might be that, oh, wow, these people who are doing this also feel this. And this is what I should expect. Like, this is actually the reality. Yeah. Um, and then it makes, you know, you're going to help people step into that, that vulnerable, vulnerable space with you. Um, and feel okay in the, in the journey of, of being a founder. Yeah. And that's really the purpose of this podcast. You know, I wanted to take a lot of the amazing women in our ecosystem and on our Wonder Women Tech stage uh, and bring them here and, and talk about the story behind their success, right? And, and, and get into the humanness of who they are and that vulnerability and, and as founders, as, you know, building a startup, anything, whether it's a startup tech company or just, you know, a lemonade stand, it comes with a set of challenges and that imposter syndrome, which then, you know, can lead to burnout, which then can lead to, and in my case, which I'm, you know, just this year finally speaking out about is depression. Uh -huh. That's like the taboo you know, thing to have in the business world, but it exists and it's prevalent and it's more prevalent in women and people of color. And not enough people talk about it. And so then when you're the one who's feeling that way, you feel very isolated and alone where in reality, you know, if we all, if we all really acknowledge how we're, we're actually feeling and the challenges that we're, we're having on this journey, then Honestly, I think we would all feel more connected <laughs> in the process and be like, oh, wow, I feel like that, too. Thank goodness it's not just me. <laughs> well, I think, too, there would be, like, policies in place and the corporate culture that would support people who mm -hmm. are feeling this way and ultimately mm -hmm. would lead to better product productivity. You know, you mentioned um, in our conversation, in our bestie conversation, um, <laughs> the idea that we have to be good enough. And we talked about what does that even look like? What is good enough? I think that's what leads to our burnout and our depression is that we are chasing that good enough. Mm -hmm. uh, what have you learned about yourself in this process? So what is good enough? Exactly. It's like, how do you even define that? What are you, what are you judging it against? Um, and I think that's when you really have to go through the hard work to, you know, turn inward and kind of figure out like what defines good enough for me or for you as an individual. Um, and, you know, I've taken this time to, um, work with therapists and coaches and to, to really try and understand, you know, as my week's going along, along and if I feel stuck in some place, you know, can I get down to the bottom of it and really understand, okay, what, what caused me to feel that way and, and how can I, 
you know, move forward to overcome that. Um, but I think, you know, everyone's going to have their own definition of good enough and whether that's being externally defined um, or internally defined, I think is where, where the big trick is. And can you really, you know, turn inward to define that for yourself and what it means? So essentially, um, like, there's no such thing as good enough. You just have to be. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, another piece of that is to really, truly be able to believe in yourself um, over everything else that's happening. So, you know, that's another thing as a, as a founder, we get constant feedback and advice and uh, insights from others, which is absolutely wonderful at times and can be the most helpful thing. Um, but it can also be the most challenging thing as well. Yes. Uh, if, you're, <laughs> if you're constantly getting feedback and advice and, and ways to improve, like how do you stay locked in that mindset of believing in yourself and what you're doing and that your in- intuition is, you know, the, the, the answer and, you know, just to go with your gut. Um, so I think you definitely do face all those challenges when you're, when you're constantly getting external, um, opinions involved, but, um, it's like, can you take all of that with a grain of salt and, (laughs) and still believe in yourself at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, It's really hard to do that. And you're inside my head because just today on Instagram, (laughs) I posted exactly this because, you know, one of the greatest revelations I've had through all of this of being, you know, one being sick and being in bed for literally days on end and just kind of assessing the last six years and realizing that I've committed a crime against myself. And that crime is that I have stifled my vision and my voice. My vision is my truth, but I have literally allowed other people's opinions, ideas, uh, being a naysayer, you know, manipulate, take advantage of. I've allowed all of that to get in the way of my vision. And and working with companies, you know, working with Fortune 500 companies who have their own ROI that I'm, you know, catering to. And then I forget about what I know I'm good at. I forget about my own solutions and how I want to approach, you know, um, DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, Um, challenges. And so I recognized that I've completely saturated my vision with other people's, you know, external influences. And so I made a declaration today. So this is super timely. And I feel like this is like the universe saying, yes, Lisa May, this is like another sign um, that, you know, you have to stay true to your vision. That is the, that is your true north. And that's what you carry with you. That's what builds your legacy. That's, that's the one thing your vision will never steer steer you wrong. Right. 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 And that's, you know, what's the one thing at the end of the day that no one can take away from you. And that's, that's your word. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, at the end of the day, you you've got your word and you've got to stick to it. And yeah, you know, I, I feel like this is an opportunity for those of us to, to reclaim our time and reclaim our voice. 
So we talked a lot about vulnerability and I would love you, Shelby, to share something with us that you've never shared with anyone else before. Oh, wow. Let's see. Um, I just love that question for this conversation. <laughs> absolutely perfect. Um, and, and a true, you know, test of my ability to be, to be vulnerable. But, um, as I was mentioning earlier, you know, I, I am working with a therapist and, and a coach to really dig deep internally and, and get into my internal workings. And, you know, a lot of that is shaped from childhood experiences and can be really hard to actually acknowledge and try and understand um, but one of the things I'm working on and I, and I've come to realize is the challenge I have of, of, um, getting feedback from, from individuals and what kind of trigger that kind of sets off for me. And, you know, that's something I'm trying to retrain myself to think about differently. But for me, feedback is always seen as, as quite negative, Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it ties back into childhood experiences of always being, um, you know, judged by a report card or what was happening in school as a child. And I found that really interesting um, to, to kind of self-discover that and, and how I can retrain myself to, to see feedback as not necessarily a judgment of where I am. Am I, am I good or bad, but here's feedback in a way that can, you know, is guiding you in the right direction of where to go and, um, actually helping you. So that's been a, that's been a big one that I've discovered in the, in the past couple of months and, um, that I've, I've been working on to reshape that story in my mind that I've been telling myself for, years and years and years now and it's it's really made me think a lot about you know in school wow I was always comparing myself with a report card right like Mm. every year every semester every quarter whatever it might be you're getting a report card that's that's telling you how good or bad you're doing um and now that's carried with me all the way to to this adult life I'm living. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, that is so powerful to number one, just even acknowledge, but more importantly to share with us. And I'm so grateful Shelby that you, you know, trusted us with that. I think a lot of us can relate to that. I know I can, I do, I myself have a, a, a difficulty receiving feedback, especially when it's something that I've personally like created or like put into the world or I'm so proud of. And I'm like, Ooh, and then somebody has something else to say and I'm like, Oh, and it completely deflates me. Um, so, like mine was more, not so much the report card, but you know, my, I, I had, my mother was, critical of me uh, when I was younger and I mean she's my biggest fan now but we did not have great years together growing up and so um so I can relate with that wow and actually as you were talking I literally was like oh I've got that too so thank you thank you for helping me have the aha moment absolutely 
It's been so amazing spending this time with you, Shelby. I have one more question. So with everything you've experienced in life, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why? Definitely the road less traveled. Um, You know, while this journey has definitely been a roller coaster, lots of, uh, lots of dips, lots of highs. Um, but it's the amount that I've been able to absorb the amount of knowledge I've been able to absorb, um, and experiences and all the lessons that I've learned. Um, you know, I don't think I would trade that in for, for an easy path. I feel like that's, that's truly what has shaped me uh, and gotten me to, to where I am today. Um, you know, all of those, those challenges and the whole roller coaster ride really is, you know, comes together and that's, that's shaped the person I am today. So, um, you know, I would do it all over again if I had to. Oh, well, we would be here to cheer you on all over again too, <laughs> Shelby. Thank you so much for being here. It's been such a delight. To... Thank you so much for being here, innovators. We'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time.